I've experienced many, none quite so penetrative and deep, but I've experienced this before and I always come out of it. And I'm coming out of it, but 
man, it would have really helped me if someone, anyone, would have just provided me some amount of reassurance. Someone to come up and say, Michael, you are absolutely right. <laughs> are not safe. You never were. You're just starting to get it now. Nothing is guaranteed and you will never get out of this life alive. I wish someone would have told me that. I would have felt so much better. Instead, I got all these people around me telling me that I'm loved, that they're my friends, that they care about me, that I can trust them. It's absolutely terrifying. How can I trust that? When you tell me you can trust you, I can trust you, we can trust me. <laughs> I would have said, thank you. Someone told me, you know, you're absolutely right. In this reality, there are threats all around. I would have said, I knew it. They would have said, you've, you know what's going to happen is, you're never going to get out of this life alive, I mean moment when you go is the moment when you're going to be truly lulled into a false sense of security and safety and comfort. That would be some reassurance I could trust. You know, it's occurred to me that I have a, a bit of a way with words. Words. Like, fuck. <laughs> and shit. and sound effects. We agreed that he would splatter random sound effects throughout this recording so that as we're recording, they'll come as a surprise to us and you. Uh, maybe 
maybe some interesting things will happen. Everyone's just waiting on something interesting to happen. Me too, by the way. <laughs> You're not alone. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to remind you that you are not alone. It is, it is this, this fucked, fucked up. up. It is this scary. Every institution around us is in active collapse. of that first Kill Tony, I liked all the attention and uh, all that. It was a lot of fun. But you know, for like a lot of years, because I've been doing this for something on 10 years only to discover I'm not funny. More on that later. But for a number of years, I, I really wanted to get big and big and big and big. Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Better rooms, better shows, more laps, more killer sets. And I wanted to be famous, I guess. But then I'm talking to Ryan about the months he spent in India. And he said that when you're white and you go to India, they just, like the Indian people, they just take pictures with you all the time, like all day. You know, like they'll try even not to look like they're doing it, like try to get you in the background of their photo. But you know what they're doing, you know? 
being white in India is still a currency. It's hard to hard to believe when you're in America that you know that people could want white people around unless <laughs> unless they're people you really don't want to be around. But you know, there are still places on earth that they like when white people are around. Like I know that a few years ago in China and Beijing and big cities like that, you could get a job as a white guy. That was your <laughs> job. You could get a job. What your job was is you'd sit in a conference room with a bunch of Chinese people, like on a laptop, and it would increase the legitimacy of whatever the perceived legitimacy of their business. Hey! <laughs> hey, buddy! Is that the is that the Bert Kreischer laugh you were telling me about? Uh, that was perfect. Yeah, dude. It really do be like that. They'll hire you just to white up their business in China, and in India they'll snap photos of you just for being white. So you you don't even have to be a comedian or a musician or an artist to be famous if you want to be famous i mean just go if just go be white in india <laughs> you could come back and meet ryan gosling somewhere you could be like oh man the paparazzi you could be like oh i know you could be like oh what are you, are you a celebrity and you could be like no i'm just white and i was in india once <laughs> because it sounded like laughter, but it also sounded like something dying, <laughs> which felt really appropriate. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so ladies and gentlemen-y to be here this evening. This is Ryan Radke, and I'm Michael Malamud, and uh, we're Gratitude 940. When I was a kid, my screen name was Attitude 940 <laughs> on AOL. Instant messenger. I wanted to be scary. Now I don't want to be scarier, and, <laughs> and I'm way scarier. <laughs> I don't want to be scary at all, and I'm like 10 times scarier. It was Attitude 940, and before that it was Attitude 72, because I thought that had a good ring to it. 
And before that, it was Squash 72 because I thought it was random and funny. So it's interesting the trajectory that things take because it starts out that you're just like playing around. And then it becomes a whole serious thing attitude, gratitude. Here's something I shouldn't probably talk about for the value of my, for the sake of my career, or what have you, but whoever's listening, I just want you to know. And let's test it. Let's test how free the speech is in this country, really. Really? Let's see what we're allowed to talk about. So I was, one of the last times most recently that I was in a comedy situation, (laughs) a hang, a place where I'm supposed to be the perfect amount of everything for you. Even though all I ever wanted to do was performing it on stage, but suddenly I have to be like this cool friend, this perfect hang. Funny, but not too funny, and not taking too much of the space, but playing, and vulnerable, but not too vulnerable, and on, but not too on. I was in one of those situations. And I was talking to a comedy club owner. Bow. Is that what you want? Hmm? Is that what I want? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For sure. But not as much anymore, I'll tell you that much. Not as much anymore. (sighs) I don't want anyone's permission to do anything. Anyway, I was saying that I don't like to say the word. Can you put like a low? Effect on my Jew. You can take it off now. (laughs) (laughs) On stage. I just never liked saying the word. One more time. (laughs) 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 On stage. Because I noticed that whenever I say the word, can you turn my voice up really high? (laughs) Jew. Back down. I notice that whenever I say that, it just tightens the room up, you know? 
like it's too close or something. And the uh, club owner says, wait a minute, I want to hear this. What is it? Why? Which, like, you know. I've been waiting for a club owner to give a shit about anything that I have to fucking say about anything for years. Years. Where the fuck was everyone? And I said, yeah, it just tightens the room up. I think it's too close or something. Like, they can just tell, you know? They can just tell who I am. And the club owner was like, well, that gives you an opportunity to, you know, you could play with that. You could go, I, oh, I felt you tighten up. And I always hated that shit, you know? I always hated, like, saying the thing that makes you different and then tightening it up and then like telling the audience like oh I know you're tightening up because I'm this it just felt like a just feels like a little puppet dance of your identity it's like we all know what we all are like we can tell like you know and we can deal with the like tense feelings maybe I mean evidently not I stopped saying shit like that on stage and she said, yeah, because you can play with their, like, white guilt. Which I know is complicated because Jews are white. Relax. I know everything. I know all the conversations. I've had all the conversations. I'm, I'm fully, <laughs> fully indoctrinated. She goes, you can play with their white guilt. I'm like, I'm so fucking tired of people's white guilt. It's so hack. Other people's white guilt is hack. It's like, oh, you're guilty and you're white? <laughs> wow. How long are we going to proceed to talk about this? Forever? And she goes, let me tell you something. And here's the thing that maybe I'm not supposed to tell you. She goes, this person, I'll leave their name anonymous. She goes, this person is the best cedar in the industry. One of the best cedars in the comedy industry. Cedars. She's really good at sitting people down. That's a job in comedy. I just quit. I've written more bits. <laughs> I've written more bits than I can count. And I just quit my juice land job making $15 an hour. Because I got scared, actually. But also because I know that, you know, how long can I keep doing shit like that? But someone is getting paid money to seat people down. <laughs> and they're good at it. They must really know something about comedy. Because they know how to seat people down. And she told me there, there are two 
fundamental rules, first two rules of seating people. I really wonder if this is going to ruin the career that I don't have. There are two fundamental rules of seating people. The first is you don't seat bald people in the front row. <laughs> that one makes sense because their heads are shiny and the spotlight. glares off a bald head. What can you do? Certain things have to be accounted for. The first few rules of something always make sense. Freedom of speech, rule number one. Right to bear arms, <laughs> rule number two. And then it gets so weird. The second rule when you're an expert level Comedy Central seater. Oh fuck, take out Comedy Central. <laughs> when, when you're an expert level seater, is you seat two black people in the front row. Because when the black people laugh, it gives white people the feeling that they can laugh. <laughs> And so she said, and I quote, we are literally programming people to find what black people find funny, funny. And here I came out just to connect I thought, oh, if I go in there, get up there, and it's a room of people, and I make them laugh, I did my job. How does that feel? How does that feel to know that you've, that you're being actively programmed when you watch media in ways that you don't even know? Like, I didn't know that. Incidentally, I think if it was a room full of Jews, they'd still tighten up. <laughs> they'd be like, what do you mean? that maybe I respect. I think I respect. I don't know. I can't tell. Told me, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it when people... She was a Jewish comic, and she told me, you gotta watch it when people talk about your nose and talk about your shit. You gotta know where you are. You know, you think they're joking around with you until you realize that they hate you. And that set me on some fear shit. 
suddenly I realized, oh yeah, like Nazis wouldn't go up and be like, oh hi, I'm a Nazi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. These people have their little groups that they hang out in and they figure out how to infiltrate a place and get right up near the very people that they hate for no reason. And that sent me on a fucking spiral. Who do I know? Who am I talking to? Meanwhile, I was all up, up in arms against these woke leftists for years. That's where I was. I was like, these people are fucked. But the fact is that, you know, you just don't know. I can't walk around like that. I can't walk around in fear like that, you know? Expecting everyone to be either trying to eradicate my Jewish identity or trying to make me trans or whatever. They got... <laughs> <laughs> they did get exactly so far they got exactly what they wanted in that everybody is absolutely divided into their camps so this could be called an effort to break the ideological barriers that have us thinking that we're so different from each other so that we can continue to bring down a new paradigm where anybody can talk to anybody. And nobody is a threat to anybody else. And every point of view can get a seat at the table. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> it's crickets time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is crickets, crickets hour. Imagine being told you're safe when you're alive. <laughs> you're only safe when you're dead. What's safer than a coffin? Six feet under and cushions on all sides. <laughs> it's all cushiony. You're a cushioned bag of bones.
But that's what's fun about being alive, is the lack of safety. NPR advertises to me on my phone, God knows why. I mean, they just have a podcast every once in a while that they want to show me. Like, I haven't seen enough podcasts. I'm going to go to NPR. <laughs> Where should I go for my podcast? So I'll go to NPR. I've watched six podcasts. I mean, I've seen so much of so many podcasts, but I've probably watched six entire podcasts. Which is why this is so weird, because I don't know how to do podcasts. And this, uh, this NPR podcast, the question that they were trying to answer was, could artificial intelligence destroy humanity? So, like, could humanity destroy humanity? Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Definitely! Yes! A resounding yes! You guys going to talk about this for an hour? Of course. <laughs> Will humanity destroy humanity? Maybe. A resounding maybe. Probably. I'm going to go with probably. Yeah, it's been an amazing thing. You know, I started comedy open mics in Burlington, Vermont when I was 21 years old. I went up at a comedy club called uh, Levity at 21 years old. And... Uh, I did it as a bucket list thing. I thought I wanted to be a musician at the time. I was like, there's no way I'm going to do this. But I caught the bug. And I stuck with it for... I don't know, I stuck with it, man. And then I got out of it. But I never really stopped thinking about it. My mind was always on it. And I always thought I could do it. So, you know... Shocked, shocked was I at 31 years old to discover that after 10 years of searching and mining, trying to find what's funny, discovered that I'm not funny at all. I mean, what an incredible, beautiful, cosmic joke. What a journey. I mean, can you imagine doing something for so long only to discover that you're not it, you know? <laughs> like, uh, like if you were a construction worker and you thought you built like 150 houses and someone told you at the end, or like just some knowledge came in, like one day you were just on your way to work and you were about to build a house and you were like, I don't know how to fucking do this. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I'm so grateful for the journey. What a beautiful thing 
something terrifying could have happened. I could have been huge and not funny. <laughs> awful. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've seen I've seen this happen before. What a nightmare. You know, or or worse, you could be funny. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my god. People think you're funny and and then you have to be funny. My gosh. I'm just grateful that the pressure's off. I remember one time when I was working at a half price books in a parking lot. Or in a yeah, well, in a parking lot in in a suburb of Chicago. I remember working at that half price books and I remember like crumpling up a piece of paper and throwing it in a waste basket and missing and thinking to myself wow there are only so many ways you can really make a shot but there are so many more ways to miss what an incredible <laughs> thing it is to miss those are the those are the real you know performances and the ones that you know go all the way around the rim and then fall out or like completely fall short you know when you throw something and it goes like halfway <laughs> or you like way overshoot it like what yeah what do you mean like in a dream yeah oh yeah 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 there's like all this muck Visible muck. So I like missing. I'm okay. You know, I can survive not being funny and, you know, being really and obviously and. uninterruptibly, undoubtedly, undeniably, unfixably weird. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's okay to not be the same as everybody else. It's, some people would even say, wow, <laughs> you're not the same as everybody else. It's like, Oh, go try it. <laughs> go try it if you think it's so cool. But I, I do think it's cool. It's got its good sides. And you know, sometimes you get lucky and you find a, a collaboration. Like, Ryan makes very strange music that doesn't appeal to most people and is not marketable. And we're very excited to be here for you today you know, creating something that sounds strange and is not funny. In fact, I almost got a little scared. It was really nice to have Eric here the other day, but, and I hope we have him again, as a matter of fact, but he's a good rapper, you know? And that's very dangerous to our project because, you know, he's good at what he does. like we don't want someone who's actually good at what they're doing coming in here and ruining ruining what we're trying to build 
I'm not trying to make it good. What is that? That's cool. Is that me? Or is that something else?
I wrote a joke. I wrote a joke, and I think it. It's like the closest I'll come to like a Norm Macdonald style joke. So I'm gonna do a terrible Norm Macdonald R.I.P. and, and uh, tell this joke that maybe he'd appreciate. I don't know. Maybe not. And you know what I realized? <laughs> well, you know, trans women are, and women are the same. <laughs> a woman is a woman is a woman. It's uh, trans women and 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 women are are they're the same. You know, I was glad to know that. I was glad that they they told me that. And I'll tell you, I I don't I don't see a difference myself. <laughs> I'll tell you how much the same they are now when I'm feeling lustful where I used to just look at a look at a woman now I can look at a man imagine them as trans in my head and then I fuck them <laughs> oh, that's why Norm MacDonald I'll play him in a movie No, that was a terrible Norm Macdonald impression. But you get, I mean, you hear how the joke is kind of like how he would have done. Don't you think? It's kind of like his, yeah, his kind of thing. You know what I have been enjoying is thinking of myself as uh, non-binary, but not uh, not gender-wise, just emotionally. How was your day? No, oh, non-binary. You know, no, oh, it was good. It was bad. Terror, elation, grief, passion, joy. My day was non-binary. I have this thing, it's, it's, it's non-binary because it's a blessing and a curse, you know? It's a gift and it's a... Ugh. Whatever the opposite of that is. I can... Uh, empathize with pretty much anyone. Oh, even him? Yeah, him too. Her? Who did the... Yeah, her too. Boundless empathy. Makes conversations very confusing. Like I had this... I had someone tell me that she went into someone's house 
and they weren't doing too good at the time mentally I guess and you can always tell a person's a person's house is a reflection of their mental state right she told me she went into the bathroom and in the shower there were no shampoos or soaps but there was a single bottle of Thousand Island dressing which I had no trouble understanding you know when you don't have like shampoo or soap and I don't know you just need a bottle there you know like for comfort like you know a bottle belongs there it's like what's the nearest thing I have to shampoo I guess, I guess is dressing I mean makes sense but she told me something that I wasn't even considering which is that she thought that the person was showering with it I didn't think they, they'd actually be showering with it that's crazy. Everybody knows that Italian dressing is the best shower dressing. It looks the most like shampoo. I was on Craigslist looking for a job. And there was this listing for an expert cake decorator. Expert cake decorator? I've been busy discovering I'm not funny for the past 10 years. Who has time for this? Why can't I just start out a novice cake decorator? Such bullshit. Everything has to be so fucking you can't even pick up a sandbag without be, being an expert anymore everybody's a fucking expert now and everyone requires expertise look at this expert ass professional world we have isn't it nice
I feel like it's been a lot of um, negativity. <laughs> this particular recording, a lot of a lot of ego. Perhaps that's just the way I'm feeling it to be coming across. But that's the way it feels. I don't know. And I just want to take a quick moment to note that you know I'm not trying to spread that. You know, I got all these feelings and. For me, doing this stuff is a lot about just letting things out, and um, I actually am a servant of God, the one source, the pure, invisible light that we all emanate from, and I believe that's what everything is and what we all are and what everything is moving towards and I do have full faith in that even in the midst of any any dark or heavy feeling I feel or anything I just have this unsinkable, uncrushable, unwaverable faith, and I would extend that to anybody listening. You know, don't... Get, get a little light sometimes, even if I can't provide that for you. At all times, get a little light. It's all good. You're supposed to be here. You're not supposed to necessarily be making a big deal out of anything, but you're supposed to be here. I feel like God's backhanded complimenter. <laughs> like, I'll just never, never give you the full... Like, I'll tell you you're supposed to be here, but then I'll be like, but, nah, don't, <laughs> don't think too much of yourself either. It's challenging because there's nothing to say. You know, everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. But you can't really talk about that because who wants to talk about the present moment? <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what an eye roll. Just be laying down somewhere talking about the present moment. But one good thing that you told me, Ryan, 
one good thing you told me is that people don't really want to hear pee pee poo poo when they see me up there. Do you remember telling me that? Did you know I didn't know that? Until you told me that? It never occurred to me that I didn't have a pee pee poo poo face. Can you believe how blessed so many of these comedians are with their faces? And they go up and people are like, oh, this guy's gonna talk about shit. And they do, and it's great. And meanwhile, I've been wondering with my completely un-pee-pee-poo-poo face why all these pee-pee-poo-poo jokes aren't working. That's really nice of you to tell me that. That really helped me. But I will say I'm upset because I have all this pee-pee-poo-poo inside me. <laughs> and I want to fucking talk about it. It's not fair. Why can't I talk about pee-pee-poo-poo? I, I have pee-pee-poo-poo stuff. You think I don't have pee-pee-poo-poo stuff? I have so much. More than all the other stuff. All the other stuff is a fraction of all the pee-pee-poo-poo stuff I tried to write in my life. Do you know the craziest part about seating two black people in the front so that all the white people have permission to laugh? If you don't do that, then white people will just laugh at the N-word. Somebody will just say the N-word and white people will laugh because white people don't know their fucking, their own programming. So I understand it. It's like protection. I understand it. And I can't stand it.
one of the last times I was at Juiceland, my coworker said, I don't want to be here, Michael. And I said, where do you want to be? And he said, at home, watching Breaking Bad. And I said, oh, I thought you would have said Japan. Italy or you know on some water somewhere and I told him because Breaking Bad you could be there tonight I guarantee it you will That's what made me had to have to leave because I can do better than that. I can do better than Juiceland or Breaking Bad. I mean, Paris at the least, <laughs> you know? <laughs> One time. I think we've forgotten how to dream.
Oh, even Ryan's funnier than me. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, showing. 